Welcome back to the Devin Nunes podcast. I really appreciate you, all of you tuning into the live stream and those that listen after the fact, either on audio or who watch it on Rumble. We always try to get take current events. Sometimes we do historical events, but for the most part, we always feature true social users. And this time we have Christina Wong from Breitbart, who is not only one of the first true, true social users, but we are also going halfway around the globe to bring the audience the closest information that we can get to Eastern Europe, Ukraine, et cetera, because Christina is reporting now from Eastern Europe. You are in Poland. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Indeed, I am in Warsaw, Poland. Warsaw, Poland, the capital of Poland. <laughs> It's great. I, I love it. Um, if you've never been there, uh, you should go. The food is amazing. The people are great. Um, there's so much historical significance all around the city. You know, so many historical sites. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. I, I love it. And my, in my times to Warsaw, if I remember right, it, essentially the city was leveled in World War II. And yes. so the city is, is generally you know, new construction, even newer construction, obviously under the iron court curtain for many years. So struggled for a long time, but in comparison to other, the, some of the older cities in, in Poland uh, that still have that ancient architecture, like say a Krakow Poland, that's got architecture goes back. I don't know. I want to say 500 or 700, 800 years. Um, there's none of that really in Warsaw, correct? That is, is correct. Warsaw was pretty much leveled. It's got a really kind of sad history because of that. Um, and, and there's monuments all, all over the place. The neighborhood where I'm living was um, not only leveled also, but there were there was a um, massacre um, during during um, the uh, Nazi occupation when the Warsaw uh, insurgents, the Polish insurgents tried to fight back. Uh, the Nazis just raised everything and killed, I think, 50,000 uh, Poles living in my neighborhood. So there's right across the street, there's a uh, monument to those who were killed here. And, and just all around the city, you see tons of the, these monuments. And I think it gives, um, you know, you, it gives you an appreciation of, you know, this is what uh, communism did. This is what the, you know, actual Nazis did, not the, you know, pretend Nazis that the left cries about, you know, in the U.S. So it really kind of, uh, I don't know, makes you value uh, freedom, independence. And I think the Poles uh, really, really do as well. Yeah, I've spent a lot of my career in Eastern Europe, ironically, warning people about Putin and Russia for many, many years yeah. that uh, Obama and Biden just simply ignored, because, of course, now we find out that by the Biden family was taking money from the mayor of Moscow's wife and Ukrainians and I guess Chinese now, who knows, who <laughs> are, but I think the Congress is trying to get to the bottom of that. Yeah, but I remember, I remember when Obama took the last tank out of uh, Germany, I believe it was around 2011 or 2012 or so. I mean, they took the last tank. And, and then shortly after you had uh, Russia invade, I, it wasn't Georgia, it was um, Crimea in 2014, you know, and so I think at that time, Putin sensed weakness, as he did again with President Biden in invading um, 
Ukraine. And, and so, yeah, it's no coincidence that, you know, he decided to invade again, again now when, uh, you know, the U.S. resolve is a little uncertain. You know, folks are preoccupied with, uh, you know, domestic issues, the wokeness at home, that kind of thing. There's a lot of political disunity, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> you've, you've done some breakthrough reporting on the military uh, vaccine mandate that we'll get into in just a, just a little bit, but there's breaking news in the last hours out of that region, specifically the Black Sea. And I know that you're, you're following it, but it appears like uh, the Russian, a Russian jet was, uh, I guess, toying with one of our drones that was uh, flying over the Black Sea and then ultimately collided. But do you have any any breaking news uh, on that situation right now? Well, uh, it's basically uh, what what you just mentioned. It was uh, two Russian fighters. They were, like you said, toying around with this drone that we have over the Black Sea. Of course, you know it's it's uh, international waters. The U.S. can fly over there if it wants. And you know, I think this is just uh, you know the Russia does this often. They they do. Uh, probe and uh, harass U.S. planes, uh, U.S. military, you know, um, uh, assets in other areas as well. And, and so in, in this case, it, it uh, ended up in an actual uh, um, actual collision. But this is a unmanned uh, asset that we have. So, you know, it's not as serious as it could be if it were actually manned. So I think this is Russia kind of taking advantage of the situation, trying to sort of um, intimidate uh, the U.S. in this region. So, so we know that that our uh, unmanned, our UAV went down uh, into the Black Sea. Do we know, did anything happen to the Russian jet that uh, that collided with it? It doesn't appear so. And that's, you know, I, I, I we don't know the details yet. I think there's a DOD briefing, Pentagon briefing, uh, that just happened shortly or is going on right now. But it appears that the, the Russian fighters are fine, at least, you know, from what from what I know. Yeah, it almost seems like, I mean, do we know for sure they actually did collide? I mean, because I've heard yes. reports of they dumped some fuel. They were dumping some fuel on top of the drone. They did that. They did that before and then before the actual collision. I'm not sure if that was an accident or, or on purpose, but yes, they were. They did dump some fuel uh, on on the drone before. So it just it, it appears that they were harassing this drone on on on, on purpose. Well, the first three reports uh, in war are usually wrong. So we'll wait. <laughs> we'll wait as this story develops. I'm sure we don't have the, the full story at this time, but the. Uh, you know, you coming from Poland, uh, one of the, the the center really of a lot of the fighting in the European theater uh, during World War II, and you know we went through the entire Cold War. Uh, then, you know that went went without. You know we had obviously troop build up build ups there. Um, Germany was split in half. Poland was was under the Iron Curtain. Uh, we came through that without uh, you know ever really getting into any conflicts with Russia. And you probably heard Donald Trump uh, recently has been talking about World War III. Um, I think many of, of my former colleagues are talking about the same thing. I mean, I have those concerns too, that this Ukraine-Russian uh, dispute is really turning into 
something that nobody envisioned a year ago, where now we're basically fully funding this war, or at least, you know, they say 50, 60% of it, it's probably higher than that. That, that leads me to have, you know, I think a lot of concerns and a lot of Americans concerns here. And it's not because, you know, we don't believe that Putin is a thug. We know he's a thug. We know he's very dangerous. But the very people who placated him for better part of two decades are now the ones, you know, pounding their chest and essentially getting us deeper and deeper and deeper into, into this conflict uh, with, a, with a country that's got, I believe, um, more nuclear weapons than anyone else on the planet. Yeah, uh, you know, like you said, I, I don't think anyone disputes Putin is a thug uh, and he provoked this war. But I think there is this unease and amongst the American public that's growing, certainly, according to the polls that show, you know, people don't want to support this war indefinitely. Uh, people don't want a, a blank check. You know, the it's pretty divided. The American public is pretty divided, but that's it's more divided than it was in the beginning of the war. Uh, in the beginning of the war, it seemed like, OK, you know, uh, Putin failed to take Kiev. Uh, Ukraine's holding on. It's doing well. The war is going to end any time. You know, we could if we just give them this tranche of weapons and then it's a year later. Uh, there's no end in sight. Uh, it's essentially right now a grinding war of attrition. Uh, it's a stalemate. There are U.S. and Western weapons on the way. There's Abrams tanks coming. We don't know when, months down the road. There's some German Leopard tanks in coming to theater soon. However, uh, that those weapons are supposed to be what changes uh, the direction of the war, but we don't know, you know, if, if it will actually have their, if those, those will actually have their intended effect. It depends on the training that the Ukrainian forces are getting. Uh, they're, they're being trained right now in Germany. Some are being trained right now in the U.S. Um, and, and so we don't really know if, if those forces, once they deploy into theater, we're talking like hundreds, you know, if, if they'll be able to turn the tide of the war already. You have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, saying uh, it's going to be pretty hard um, for, you know, every single Russian force to be pushed out of, of Ukraine by the end of this year. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's already this expectation that the war is going to continue at least for another year. There's not going to be victory in 2023. And then you kind of, you have a uh, Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. He's really like trying to rally his troops saying, you know, we're going to win this. We're going to push Russian forces out of Ukraine. But I think, uh, you know, people are getting a little bit they, they just don't know what to expect at this point. And you have President Biden saying, we're going to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. But there's no, um, you know, what's what's the strategy? What's the objective? It, it are, you know, do we want negotiations? Uh, you know, when when will, you know, how is the war going to end? I think, I think people want to know that. Um, I think... Biden doesn't want to undercut the Ukrainians, but the, at the same time, I think the U.S. public, you know, they have questions. They, they want to know how many more tranches of weapons are going to be sent. Already $113 billion in weapons uh, have been sent over the last year. There's going to be definitely more on the way. Uh, the DOD just put out its budget 
request for $886 billion. That doesn't even include uh, any kind of supplemental for the, the Ukraine war. So it's certainly going to be that budget's going to be a lot, a lot higher. Um, so I think people just have a lot of questions and the Biden administration needs to level with the American public and say, you know, we expect this war to go on this long. We want this much in weapons, you know, sort of sell the case to the American public at the very least. I don't think right now it's doing that at all. Well, recently I was actually, uh, shouldn't say shocked, but I think just kind of dismayed that the Democratic Party, who's always prided themselves as keeping lines of communication open, that we always want to be diplomatic, that we always want to have a, you know, be at the negotiation table. And I was shocked when Biden went to, went to Ukraine, uh, then went to Poland and did not push to get people to the table. And I just wonder how was, what can you tell us on the insights from how was Biden received? I assume he did. I assume he went to Warsaw, I'm guessing, correct? Yes, he, he went to Warsaw. I actually uh, went to the speech to cover it as a journalist. Uh, the, the ones who were there at the speech, they were, you know, uh, tied to the embassy in some way. So uh, a lot of them had uh, positive things to say about about Biden, such as, oh, he's so old, but he came anyway. You know, I think they were really impressed because I, is Biden, I think Biden's 80 now. I, I think he had a recent birthday. Uh, but anyway, they were really impressed uh, that he is at, at his age, actually came uh, at the same time, the polls, they love America. They love Americans. I think they were happy just any kind, whenever any American politician comes to uh, Poland. Uh, they also like Trump. So, you know, they're, they're not going to um, uh, snub the American president coming to their country. So mostly, most of the people in the audience there had, had positive uh, things to say. Uh, it seemed really like a kind of like a PR stunt, you know, to mm-hmm. to just sort of helicopter into Ukraine, walk around with Zelensky, you know, then come to Poland. And and uh, I think he tried to have one of those um you know, he tried to deliver this, um, you know, monumental historic speech, but I think I think he fell short. You know, he wanted to have the the Ich Ein Berliner, you know, speech, uh, and I think his his line, his line was uh, Kiev still stands or something, but I don't think it had the same impact. And actually, uh, Lech Wałęsa was there, the first uh, democratically elected Polish president. He was in the audience, and that was pretty amazing uh, for me, um, you know, someone who's sort of learning about uh, Polish history to have him right there. I think he's about 79, 80 years old or so, historical figure, um, uh, fought the Russian uh, communists uh, as part of the solidarity uh, movement. He was there. He didn't like Biden's speech. Um, I think he said there wasn't, it wasn't really interesting. There wasn't much there. And, and there was some disappointment among the polls of like, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing to announce. This was very flowery. It was very tough sounding, but what what's different? The polls are huge supporters of Ukraine, 
you know, probably more than anyone because they know what it's like to be under a Russian occupation. So they're behind the, uh, Ukraine 100 percent. There's a ton of Ukrainian refugees in Poland, a ton, you know, a lot of uh, humanitarian, uh, you know, refugee centers uh, in in, uh, in Poland. So I think, you know, they were happy to see him, but I think some were some were disappointed. So what is the opinion there of real strategic thinkers in Poland who you know understand the size and strength of the Russian military? Clearly, they know the history. They know the danger there. And I've always said that, that, you know, the, the Romanians and the Poles and the, and the Baltics are really the ones right there on the front line with, you know, been there, you know, since the, the fall of the Berlin Wall and the, the collapse of the old Soviet empire. You know, these guys have consistently been warning about Putin's uh, irregular actions, that he was not somebody who was totally sane, not somebody to be to be trusted. Uh, But yet they also have to be, you know, they also are realists there, I would think. And they know that Ukraine is also a place with all sorts of problems and a checkered history (laughs) and. Probably yeah. no, you know, from my perspective, you know, from my perspective, you know, I don't see that there is a, there's not going to be a traditional end to a war where one side just, just gives up because they get totally destroyed. Right. I mean, that's the old saying, you know, wars don't end until the, the enemy says it ends, right. Because either the enemy either says surrender or the enemy can no longer speak because the enemy is obliterated from the planet. Now, the only one with the, capability to do that would be the Russians, uh, assuming that we don't do anything stupid and get into World War III. So it's really hard ultimately to knock the the Russians out. I do think that the Russians, because these are, you know, these are effectively brothers. I mean, the Russians and the Ukrainians, I mean, many, many of those people have, are, 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 are mixed, right? I mean, over, over centuries, they've got, you know, family from Ukraine, family from Russia, et cetera. And I think the willingness of the Russians to fight is much less than what the Ukrainians are willing to do, um, because the Ukrainians don't want to live under under the uh, another Iron Curtain from Putin. They know the danger of that 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 would have on future generations. But there's got to be some realism over there that there's at some point got to be a negotiated settlement. And you know, to me, Zelensky speaks almost as if you know, as if, you know, he's got the full force of the United States military behind him and he's going to, you know, ultimately march all the way to Moscow and, and, and take over Moscow, which is, you know, just seems ridiculous, um, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the face of it. So how would the strategic folks that you talk to in Poland, how do they view uh, the situation there and, and what do they expect to come over the next couple of years? I think, as you mentioned, you know, the Poles, they're very, uh, they're realists. Uh, they don't trust anyone. Uh, they are trying to build up their military uh, as fast as possible and as strong as possible. They're buying um, a lot of equipment. Um, they're boosting uh, defense spending. They are also uh, diversifying too. So they're, they're, they're not completely 
uh, I would say reliant. I, w- I wouldn't say it's about reliance, but they are they're buying weapons from South Korea. They're buying weapons from the U.S. I think they're 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 just trying to strengthen their military um, to make sure this doesn't you know Russia does not ever get the idea that they can invade Poland. Uh, and so uh, I you know I think I think the polls are very uh, clear-eyed about what could happen, um, and I, I, that's one of the reasons they back Ukraine, not only just morally, but uh, you know, let's say Ukraine falls to Russia, then you've got Russians on on their right next door. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes, this is a very uh, practical thing with them, but at the same time, they're not itching to get into a direct war with Russia. And we saw when the uh, air defense missile, the Russian uh, air defense missile fell into um, Poland, or I'm sorry, it was Ukrainian. It was a Ukrainian uh, air defense missile. It had malfunctioned and fell into Poland. And I think Zelensky was like, oh, yeah, we will, you know, help you against the Russians. And he was sort of fomenting this, uh, you know, this is a Russian missile. And of course, the Associated Press uh, had that report, actually botched report, where it said that uh, the Russians had fired two, two missiles into Poland. So that almost caused an international crisis. The Poles were very restrained. And it was interesting because when this happened, there was a there was this kind of calm restraint from uh, the National Security Council, the equivalent of that in Poland, the Polish government, they were they were very restrained. They were very calm. They were very methodical in, in their statements. They didn't uh, bluster. And you would you wouldn't think that, you know, you know, Poles historically hate the Russians. You would think they'd be, you know waving their fists around and you know calling for war like Zelensky was at that time but they weren't and they wanted to just kind of gather the facts first and and it, you know it's um some sources say that they knew immediately you know what happened because th- they were sort of expecting something like this kind of mishap could happen so they were they, they sort of suspected right away yet maybe this is a ukrainian missile let's not jump the gun well, so it, it, it's interesting you don't have the polls itching to get into a conflict right now with russia um, yeah. but they, well, they think it's to stop russia yeah so we're, we're speaking with Christina Wong. You can follow her at True Social. Uh, she's with Breitbart. She's been on the platform since the very, very beginning. And you can follow her. She's always putting up her great news articles. But <laughs> Christina, we have such a great team at True Social that we are just on top of breaking news events. And we've actually been, this is the first time I've seen this, first time you've seen this. This is from Breaking 911, who posted on True Social just 15 minutes ago or 12 minutes ago. But let's uh, play this and then we'll get your reaction to it. All right. Thanks so much, Pat. Um, the uh, An MQ-9 uh, potentially contains um, sensitive technology. Is the uh, U.S. military undertaking any effort to recover the MQ-9? Is it, in the, is it in the waters of the Black Sea? Has Russia recovered it? Um, is there a U.S. naval asset in the in the region that could undertake that recovery? Thanks. Yeah. So uh, again, I'm not going to get into the specifics of what's on this particular aircraft, um, other than again, it's an ISR platform. Uh, because of the damage, uh, we were uh, in a position to have to essentially 
um, crash it into the Black Sea. Uh, to my knowledge at this point in time, uh, the Russians have not recovered that aircraft. Um, but again, in terms of um, our recovery efforts, don't have any updates to provide right now. I'd refer you to Navier in terms of what assets they may have in that region. Thank you. James. All right. We're turning to you, Christine. I don't think we learned a lot there, but what, what's your I mean, response? I mean, I'm, uh, that's kind of yikes, right? I mean, it fell into the water. We have no recovery efforts underway. You know, the Russians could very well recover it, which, you know, reminds me of another story recently. So Russia has recovered U.S. weapons in the on the Ukrainian battlefield and is sending them to Iran to be reverse engineered. Uh, so the weapons that we are sending to uh, Ukraine are, some of them are unfortunately, you know, indeed ending up in the wrong hands. And I think that's something that, you know, Americans, really don't want to hear. So, um, yes. So I, I'm just reading this uh, European uh, command release. So nothing, nothing new, but you mentioned the fuel dumping. So there were several times before the collision that the Su-27 fighters dumped fuel on and flew in front of the MQ-9 in a reckless environmentally unsound, whatever that means, and unprofessional manner. Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. Hold, yes, hold on. Did they really fuel? put in an environmentally, <laughs> what, what did they put? Un unsound. Environmentally unsound. unsound. Yes, because, you know, dumping fuel is, is, is damages the environment. Wow. Okay. <laughs> So, so we just lost a a fifty or a hundred million dollar aircraft. No telling how much it, how much it is. Uh, we don't even know what it is. We know it sounds like yeah. at least from the 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 guy we just saw speaking, which I don't know. He, I don't know if he's a spokesman for the Air Force or or, or what. Uh, that it was not armed. That it was had ISR on it, which obviously would beg the question: Well, if it has ISR, uh, meaning that it's an intelligence surveillance reconnaissance. So God only knows what type of equipment's on there that could get into the Russian hands because they're not saying it's not going to get into the Russian hands. And then they put out that we're, well, it sounds like we're very concerned about the fuel that was dumped at, I don't know, 15, 20, 30,000 feet uh, on top of uh, a drone, which on its face is ridiculous. I mean, if you're up that high, uh, you know, I'm sorry, the amount of fuel that would potentially uh, end up in the Black Sea is you know, almost zero. The fact that the Pentagon is talking about that was that yeah. was that the European Command that put that ridiculous statement in there? Yes, that was the European Command out in uh, Stuttgart. Oh my God! Wow. <laughs> you know, I spent so much of my career uh, trying to convince people in, in at, at DoD and with varying administrations that you know, that we really needed to focus our efforts on, on, on Russia, making yeah. sure that Eastern Europe was, secu was secure, but that if the Germans weren't and others weren't going to support NATO, that what the hell are we doing in Stuttgart? You know, I went there so many times, you know, not to mention that new, you know, Battlestar Galactica thing from Star Trek. I don't know, maybe a, a Star Wars Death Star that we built outside of Brussels at NATO, which is, you know, ridiculous. The the headquarters that we had at NATO were perfectly fine. But, you know, we were dumping in so much money into Germany, into Brussels, into NATO, that they weren't paying jack. 
which mm, is why when yeah. President Trump came in, it was kind of a breath of fresh air that, you know, he said, look, either pay or, you know, or we're going to be leaving. At the same time, he arms the Ukrainians, which Obama had refused to, to, to do, which, you know, ironically, the probably those weapons that Trump had given is probably what helped to repel and stop the Russians in the, that first, you know, two, three, four days of advance. Uh, they were able to use those res- those weapons that Trump gave, right? Which yeah. is only sensible right. that you give basic supplies to people that at any uh, against uh, an opponent, Russia, who you know is willing to go into Crimea, willing to go into to countries like Georgia. This is all places that that you know things that we knew about. Uh, but boy, the, the the Stuttgart deal is just a debacle, and now they're so environmentally correct. Uh, <laughs> yes, I've actually never been to Stuttgart, but I have been to Brussels. I, I don't remember the Ballastar uh, Galactica that you mentioned, but yeah, it, it was uh, pretty, um, the, whatever I went to was pretty nice. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just ridiculous that we've continued to build up these you yeah. know, luxurious bases and places where people yeah. don't even uh, contribute what they should be contributing to. And we should, you know, we should have got back to you know, what are the most strategic locations that we need in Europe, not legacy bases where people and military civilians like to live, where we're buddies with the local mayors, local communities, and it's how much money can you give me for my local community? I mean, we had no business being there, um, you know, shortly after the fall of the Berlin Wall, you know, I would say, you know, we should have been on a, you know, taking those those troop levels down, but instead we actually built up you know, built those places bigger, built new facilities, not a place there. We haven't built new facilities. And, you know, I would argue that, Hey, Ramstein, which I'm sure you've, you've been there, that air base, critical location, strategic location helps us to, to, to deploy aircraft, you know, all over Europe into the middle East, things like that made some sense. But, you know, at the, at the same time, we didn't put much into Poland, much into places like Romania, where we built up places like Stuttgart and Brussels, uh, which was just just ridiculous, but uh, yeah. Do you remember when uh, Trump wanted to put more U.S. forces into Poland, and the mainstream media had a fit? Do you, do you remember that? I do remember uh, that, and, 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 and also made- that what they had a fit over how could he dare talk to our really important NATO allies about having to put more money in? Well, Trump yeah. was just saying, "Hey, I'm new to politics. Uh, aren't they supposed to be putting in two percent?" Why aren't they doing it? I see that we're running a budget deficit. They keep saying we need more money for the military and Trump wanted to rebuild the military. And yet we're mm-hmm. putting money into places like Stuttgart and new bases in mm-hmm. at, at NATO. Uh, simply ridiculous. And they were critical of Trump kind of saying what many people would recognize. Hey, maybe if we actually go to the places strategically that really know that if we're there, we're not going to take any crap if the Russians really did try to do something stupid in Poland or Romania. And, you know, that's what, yeah. Trump, you know, I think was very clear yeah. with Putin on, you know, if you screw with me, I'm just paraphrasing here, but it probably yeah. sounded just about like that. If you screw <laughs> with me, I will go after you. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. That was Trump's position. He's like, I don't want yeah. to, I'm not going to, yeah. but if you do something stupid, I will go after you. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to take troops down from Germany and send them uh, to Poland. And you know, he was he took he took that stance on the Iranians too. He said, "If you harass our ships, we're going to blow your boats out of the water." And they stopped the Iranian right. harassment 
of our ships, uh, it, it stopped in, in, in the Strait of Hormuz. Right, right. And I don't know how many times I was over in the yeah. Middle East. I mean, multiple times per year over many, many, you know, over, got over well over a decade. And every time I went there, it'd be the same damn story. Oh, the Iranians, you know, came within 15 feet of, of an aircraft, blah, blah, blah. And you're right. Trump said, you do it again, we're going to hit you. Yeah. And it stopped. And guess yeah. what? Putin didn't do a damn thing either because Trump said, if you do something yeah. stupid, we're going to yeah. we're going to hit you. And, you know, the yeah. same thing with North Korea. I mean, you know, it just seems, you know, and told yeah. NATO, if you don't put up more money, we're out of here. And then ironically, just think where, you know, I don't I don't agree with the strategy and the tactics that, that NATO and the United States are, are, are using here. Uh, you know, here I, you know, who was, you know, obviously for many, many years, I believe in, you know, peace through strength and, you know, only say something if you're willing to actually hit somebody. I mean, that was always my policy. And, you know, and here I am saying, look, guys, maybe it's time that we get to the negotiation table and try yeah. to bring this thing, bring this thing to an mm -hmm. end. Um, mm -hmm. Christina, I, I asked this question uh, you know, a few weeks ago uh, we had on uh, Victor Davis Hanson. But the one thing that we can't that was shocking to me and shocking to Victor Davis Hanson is, you know, unlike Vietnam, unlike the uh, Iraq war, unlike the, the, the both, both the first Gulf War, second Gulf War and the war in Afghanistan, where we had minute by minute by minute from the fake news, every mm. single casualty that was that was occurring. Mm. But for some reason, in the last year, we're funding this to some $113 billion, as you say, I, who was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and worked on these issues for many, many years, Victor Davis Hanson, arguably one of the one of the strongest uh, minds that we have on, on military history. I mean, he's written books on World War II. He can, he, he's a classicist. He goes all the way back to the Peloponnesian Wars and the Roman Empire. Christina, maybe you can help myself and Professor Victor Davis Hanley. <laughs> How many casualties are we looking at? How many casualties on the Ukrainian side? How many casualties on the Russian side? And how many deaths? Do you do you know the answer? No, and you know you hit wait, on wait, something wait. that no, you don't. No, you 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 hit on something that really upsets me. You know, I think I think we share this this view about about the mainstream media, but but also just the whole you know sort of propaganda machine you know that's coming out of the the Biden administration. Um, we, we don't know. And so in the very beginning, uh, when this conflict started, we got these, these, uh, updates, these briefings every day, even twice a day. And they were, it was all just sort of propaganda. It was all propaganda. It was all, you know, the Ukrainians are hanging in there. They're holding on strong. You know, the Russians have been beat back, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to some extent, you kind of understand why. I mean, it's the beginning of a war. It's new. It's exciting. People, every you know, everyone's watching it, and you want to, you know, Ukraine's the good guy, Russia's the bad guy, blah blah blah. But it's detached from reality, and this whole thing has been detached from reality, and it's it's not fair. It's not giving the American people an idea of what's at stake, so people don't know what so, to, to to advocate for. They so don't you're, know. You're you're as close to the you know, to the front as you can basically possibly be without being in Ukraine. You're, you're, you're right there. Yeah. You're a reporter. 
Um, you talk to other reporters in the region. We have by far today with all the communications tools uh, between all the social media, all the satellites, um, you know, I, I mean, this is Europe for God's sakes. And right. you are telling me that you cannot yeah. give us a number of the casualties on yeah. either side. I, I saw a, a report, I think it was just yesterday that said Ukrainians don't even share their casualty figures with their closest Western you know, partners. I mean, what sort of, but we're okay with handing over, you know, 113 plus billion dollars of, of weapons and kind of taking their reassurance that none of it's getting diverted. Meanwhile, you've got all these, you know, officials getting fired for corruption, U Ukrainian yeah. officials. You know, I don't want to rag on the Ukrainians, but I mean, we just need, I think, in order to even build or sustain public support, you know, for what the U.S. is doing, you know, if that's the, what the administration wants to do, you have to inject some sort of reality in this, you know. Where, <laughs> where's mean, all the fake news guys at that, you know, I don't I don't consider Breitbart and you fake news, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. But where's all the other fake news? You got all this fake news, not only the, the U.S. fake oh, yeah. news. Yeah. You know, Why aren't they demanding an answer? The relic, yeah. the relic media in the United States. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the, the media in Europe. And none of them asked that question. I mean, why would that not oh. be? Why, you know, why in every previous conflict in my lifetime and even before my lifetime, there's minute by minute updates. And now there's, and now there's zero, nothing. And nobody even asks that question. I mean, that was the... That was right. what Victor Davis Hanson and I spoke about a few weeks ago. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I'll, I'll post, uh, you know, Twitter is an interesting area where you can post opinion. In a new post that compares our strategy in you know, our strategy in Ukraine to uh, what was going on in Afghanistan or even Iraq. And then I'll have some journalist, you know, get upset at me, you know, because he's or she has chosen a side in the war and you, this is just, and you know, Ukraine are, are the good guys, you know, which that's, that was, that's not my argument here, but it's, you, you definitely have the media, the mainstream establishment media on the side of Ukrainians and sort of, if you listen to the briefings, it's, you know, when can we send this, you know, what, how long is it going to take for this to get to the battlefield? It's obviously cheerleading for one side. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's, uh, but you can't pick a side, but that's not what the media, you know, what we were supposed to do. You know, we're not supposed to choose a side. We're supposed to, you know, report on the facts. And so the American people have the facts, such as how many Ukrainians um, have been killed or wounded in this war. I see all sorts of, you know, crazy estimates from 100,000 to way more than that. Uh, you know, I saw some estimate of like over 200,000 uh, killed and wounded. I don't know about that. That seems a little high. But, you know, it is really weird that we're getting, uh, we were getting updates on how many Russian casualties there were you know, how many Russian systems were taken out. Um, but then when it, when it came to, you know, uh, Ukrainian casualties, it was, it was like, we don't have that figure for you, you know, or. So, uh, Christina, yeah. we're going to, we're going to have to come back to you later in the, later in the year, in a few months here, just to get some re more reporting from there. Definitely. But I know your time is short and um, I didn't mean to spend this much time on Ukraine, but being that it is in the news and you are there uh, close by, um, but I don't want to have the time go by without uh, discussing your latest piece uh, that I think was news to me and many of my colleagues. Uh, 
Uh, and there it is. Divisive and cruel. Pentagon could still kick out 16,000 unvaccinated troops despite voided vaccine mandate. So tell us about your reporting. How did you discover this? And what, what, what do we need to know? Is this a real, a real concern at a time when we can't even get enough people to sign up to be in the, in the military? Yeah, you know, ironically, that's, I think, uh, about how many um, more U.S. forces that we have to recruit uh, more than, than last year. And we, we, I think we fell short of, of that goal last year. So in, in other words, um, you know, 16,000 troops, that's, that's not nothing in the so, middle of a huge recruiting crisis. But, but so, are these, just so I understand, are these the 16,000, there's 16,000 that were already get kicked out or there's going to be six and they're not being let back in or these are 16,000 that are going to be kicked out? These, okay, these 16,000, um, so there were about 69,000 troops who remained unvaccinated, about 53,000 of them applied for some sort of exemption. So the remainder um, do not did not apply for an exemption, yet they remain unvaccinated. And so the, the Pentagon is maintaining that they can kick these people out because they didn't apply for some sort of medical or religious or administrative uh, exemption. So they're saying, we can still go after these guys, even though the mandate is no longer in force. Um, and we had to rescind this. And we are, it's weird because on one hand, they're saying, we're going to rescind every single policy that was related to the vaccine mandate, but we're still going to go after these guys or, and, or women who didn't you know, get vaccinated. It really doesn't make any sense except for wanting to punish these folks. And it's sort of what was happening over the last two years. It, there was this 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 uh, drive to just punish people. Um, and, and if it weren't for this uh, mandate being reversed by Republicans, these all these forces, I mean, they were being persecuted. They were being separated right. from their their friends. They were being made to live in other places. They were had their privileges taken away and their families as well. I mean, it was really, really horrible, the treatment that they had. Uh, pilots couldn't fly, um, you know, for very stupid reasons. I mean, even if you had like a very, you know, maybe there were two pilots in a plane and, and you still couldn't fly because you were unvaccinated. It was just uh really kind of ridiculous punitive um policies and, against and what the, they're and effectively what they're doing with those with those uh what did you say sixty nine thousand that were that were un that were not vaccinated yes yes and now so, every single one of those people now have some type of check mark or or warning in their file that they're not so that essentially they've self-identified and of course you know, it's been a lot of more conservative people in America who have said, hey, I don't trust the government. I don't trust this vaccine. And it's been, you know, I know there's a small percentage that that identify as as left or independent, but most of them consider themselves center right. So it's a de facto way of identifying 69,000 people who all probably are center right. And now the question is, you know, I don't know how many of those people got kicked out, but I think you can almost assure that a lot of them left the military early, will be leaving, or I think, sadly, will not be promoted. 
Yeah, um, and at least uh, 8,600, I believe, were, were, were involuntarily uh, discharged. So, but there were uh, many more who just decided, you know, not to, um, you know, renew their contracts or re-enlist. And, and, and a lot of them uh, got out and the trust uh, was broken. And, you know, I was thinking this, this mandate kind of came after... Um, the uh, Afghanistan withdrawal, which was a, you know, complete disaster. I think a lot of folks, you know, I, I think a lot of folks, uh, I was thinking about this just before we began talking, um, you know, some of it I think had to do with their political persuasion, but just a, a lot of, uh, some of it had to do with this distrust in this administration for the way they were handling things, um, for the way, you know the 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 issue is being played out um, in the you know across America. They're not um, completely troops aren't completely immune to what's going on around them, and they just saw the you know this thing get politicized and Democrats saying let's go you know we want everything locked down, wear your mask, you know get your vaccine, get your booster, blah blah blah. And I think there is a just this distrust of. You know, I'm perfectly healthy. I'm this young, healthy troop. And uh, this is, you know, for me, it's the equivalent of the flu. I can, you know, I, I can survive this thing. It's got extremely low uh, death rate or severe, you know, um, uh, health risk for me. And I, I think some some troops just didn't want to get the vaccine, you know. And, and so I think it was, uh, you know, in addition to just, Political distrust and being on the center right, but but the the military supposedly is sort of is reversing those marks uh, on military records, but at the same time you still have, like you said, uh, I'm sure it's on their records somehow, some way, you know. And, and those who were discharged and want to come back in, they have to get their um, they have to appeal to a board of, of corrections for their military records uh, in order to you know, uh, be able to maybe get back in, but that's still a process that they wouldn't have had to go through if this weren't um, uh, mandated in the first place. And, and so I think we lost a lot of good troops. I think a lot of them uh, were alienated by this uh, administration's really weirdly draconian measures when it came to COVID. It was very odd. It was like, uh, you know, uh, it was as if this administration kind of took special pleasure in punishing those who didn't want to get vaccinated or didn't want to wear the mask. Sure. And I think that's probably the worst part of for this. Sure. Is just, for, yeah, sure. for sure. I mean, that's that's exactly what it seems like. So you you can follow Christina at Christina Wong on True Social, also with at Breitbart. You can follow Bright at, at Breitbart. Christina, uh, we promised that we we're going to get you out because I know you have another interview. You're working late into the night there in Poland. <laughs> Christina Wong from Poland, uh, coming on the Devin Nunes podcast, part of the helping pr promote True Social. Christina, thank you so much, and we're going to have you oh, back on. Mm -hmm. Can you say hello to my mom, Susanna? She's on True Social. She's an avid, uh, you know, True Social reader. Oh, that's great. She's quite yet posted, but, but she follows you and Dan Bongino and, and me, I hope. And uh, <laughs> so you have to say hi to her. She also loved your book. Um, and she's yeah. in, is she still living in California? 
Yes, yes, she's in she's in California. Also, you have to say hi to my dad because if you don't, then that will be unfair. So, <laughs> so well, they're big fans of yours, and so they're going to be well, psyched. Uh, well, they've them. stuck it out in California, like a lot of us uh, trying to fix this disaster that's uh, that's out in California. Uh, but Christina, I know uh, I really appreciate uh, that, and 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 please say hello. Hi, Christina's parents. We're very proud of her. I'm sure you miss her. She's over in Poland, but we're going to be bringing her back on the podcast here in the next few months, just to hopefully get some uh, up-to-date information, maybe on some just simple things like you know casualty numbers, maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll have recovered the drone by then, <laughs> or the Russians will have the drone by then. <laughs> Christina, yeah. thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. This is Devin Nunes. We'll catch you next time.